Have you ever seen, or at least heard of happening, a miracle? And you don't need to answer, just, just think in your head. Have you ever seen a miracle or, or witnessed the hand of God move, or maybe you've heard about that happening? Second question, have you ever prayed for a miracle? God, I need a miracle. Would you bring one? Third question, do you need a miracle right now? And even if you're not answering, well, yeah, you, I, I, no, I haven't really said I need a miracle. God, I need a miracle, at least not right now. I'm guessing there probably are ways where you need a miracle. Because there are things in life that we look at and we're like, I don't know how to fix it. Like, I don't know how to fix this situation. I have this problem going on and I have no idea how to do it. It doesn't seem possible. Or maybe you look at the things going on in the world and it's like the world seems like a mess and I have no idea. I feel completely powerless to do anything about it. And so what solution do you need? The solution you need is, is a miracle. Well, sometimes when we look and we see challenges in our life and in this world, sometimes when we feel like we just don't know what to do and we're incapable of doing anything, that's where sometimes we can feel some of the heaviest of darkness, which is like last week, like it's going to be next week and the following week, why it's such a blessing that we are in the epiphany season, which is a season of light. That God shines light into our darkness. That when Jesus steps out into the light of who he is, it can shine light into the darkness of our lives and in this world. And today, we're going to step forward in this series where we see Jesus reveal to us the series Revelation, not the book. And we're going to see how Jesus shines light into our lives, what it means about him and how he relates to us when he is revealed to us in miracles. The lesson we have is John chapter 2, verse 11. So this, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. Now, our lesson is actually part of the same book that we studied from last week. So we're in the Gospel of John again, and actually we're going to be in the Gospel of John a couple more times yet here in this Epiphany season. And if you remember the Gospel of John, when he, goes, when he starts off his book, he goes way back to before there was such a thing as before, before there was time, to the fact that you have God who has existed for all of eternity, but then also God the Son who has existed for all of eternity, God the Son who was there and through whom all things were created. And he brings us back here because John is setting us up to see that Jesus is the eternal Son of God who took on human flesh, became not only fully God, but fully human, so that he could live and die and rise again for us. And in the Gospel of John, we see various ways where the fact that Jesus is God is revealed to us. Last week, we saw it in baptism. We saw it in Jesus' baptism. It also gave us insight into our baptism and what that means. Today, we're going to see Jesus revealed to us in miracles. Now for this scene, we're brought to a point where Jesus is at a wedding, which I just love that. Like I love just thinking about Jesus hanging out at a wedding party sometimes. And, uh, and you know, I plugged the chosen last week, plug it again. But one of the things I really like about it is so often like Bible movies, whenever you see Jesus, he's got these serious eyes all the time. 
and he's just always so like stoic almost, right? But Jesus is like he's he's a human. He's got family, he has friends. He's a real person. Went to a wedding party, probably danced around, maybe danced poorly. We don't know. Being the son of God doesn't make someone a good dancer, right? Like laughed, had a good time, all these things. He's there with his disciples, with his with, with family, with friends, celebrating a wedding. And in Jewish culture, weddings were a big, big deal. Um, you know, it's, I spent, and many of you know, I was a wedding DJ for four years in college and seminary. I've been to a lot of weddings. Some of them are more party-filled than others. Jewish weddings would have been on the upper end. It was a multi-day event. Like, this is a big, big deal. Which is why it was such a big deal when Jesus is informed by his mother, excuse me, that they were out of wine. This is a bad bad deal. Incredibly embarrassing for the family to run out. What do you do? The family's stuck. We're in a situation. We have all these people here. We're out. And we can't just make wine come out of nowhere. Well, we can't. So Jesus' mom goes and talks to him. And then Jesus goes and he has the servants there collect stone jars and he has them fill them up with water. So they would have had these stone jars, and then they would have had to go wherever, wherever they would find water. And let's see, where would I get? I could probably get, I bet there's a pot back here in the kitchen. Let's see. All right, yeah, perfect. Awesome. Okay. And so he had them go and get water from the well. So wherever they have that water, and he has them fill up this jar. Now, let's see here. Now, as a matter of disclosure, I have some towels in the bottom of here and a little cup because I figured you didn't want to wait for me to walk back and forth enough times to fill this thing all the way up. And I discovered when I did my little practice that if I just put a, like a little bit in the bottom, it was really hard for me to scoop it out. I'd make a mess, and I didn't want to do that, okay? So, I've just got this little cup up here. But just, just think about these servants. As they, they, they go and they get this water and they go back and forth. I've got a fairly small stone jar here. In our background lesson, we were told, and did anyone catch how big they would have been? 20 to 30 is what, what it says. 20 to 30 gallons. So, so imagine something big enough to put 20 to 30 gallons of milk in it. So we're talking a big jar. Uh, we found this size at Goodwill. This is about as big as we could find this week. Yeah. And so this jar would be 20 to 30 gallons. But not only that, but it's, there were six of them, right? Is that what the gospel says? Six jars of 20 to 30 gallons. And so just think about the trips these servants would have made back and forth. And just I'm imagining their thought process. Like at first, like, he wants us to get water? And then as you're walking back and forth to the well to get the water and bring it back, thinking, so how is this going to fix our problem? Like, what is this going to do? And the more you do it, real, just thinking, like, this just doesn't make any sense to me. This seems pointless. Like, what is going on? Maybe he's got some sort of secret, I don't know, ingredient he can put in there or something we don't know but then good morning buddy I know it's wild isn't it 
But then Jesus just tells you to go ahead and scoop some out. I, just, just, just imagine this. You know as a servant better than anyone what's in this jar, right? You know that you just put water in there, and you go and you scoop some out, and you're like, it's just water. Like, what's the deal going to, like, what? I don't, I, don't know, I don't get it. And then, wait a minute. Huh. What? Can you imagine the shock when what comes back out? Doesn't look like water? And what comes out looks like a shade of wine? Like, what's going on here? And as you're looking at this, like, okay, what kind of, what did, what did he put in here? Then Jesus says, go take it to the master of the feast to drink it. Now, here's the real test, because here's, here's the, the thing is, if I were to give this to any of you to drink, you would know that it is definitely not wine. <laughs> but the big test goes to the master of the banquet. And when he drinks it, can you imagine the, the servants, by the way, just be like, like, just waiting the suspense, right? Like, how's it going to go? He drinks it. And then he goes and tells the family, says, you know, most people serve the best wine first. Because the understanding is, you want to drink the really good stuff up front, but you know, the more you drink, the less you care about what you drink, and you know, you know how that progression can go, right? Well, he says, you guys did the exact opposite. This is the best wine right here. Can you just imagine what it would be like to be those servants, or to be the people who knew I mean, this was ingrained in you clearly. You went back and forth, back and forth. Water, water, nothing but water. Nothing but water did you bring in and put in there. And yet, this situation where it's like, what can we do? We can't just make water or wine out of nothing. Here a man comes and you fill it up with water and you've got the best wine that banquet master has ever tasted. But just the shock of seeing that in real time. And in my, <laughs> this little demonstration here was hopefully to make it a bit more, what would that be like? To have that wine shift. To have that water turn into wine. They drink it. The party keeps on. The family's got plenty. They got six jars full. You could probably bottle that at the vineyard. There's plenty there for it. And Jesus then with this event kickstarts this is the first, we're told, event where he, this miracle where he reveals himself in this way. Reveals his power and glory in, in miracles. Now, as Jesus does so, we're told that this was the first of those miraculous signs. Now, when you see that word signs, there's a couple ways we can think about it. A sign often points you to something. Right, and maybe you would say, like, there's cottage, you know, out on the freeway, Cottage Grove, exit here, like, this is where it is. When you think about a sign in Scripture, it can point, and here it would point to the fact that this man, Jesus, is the Messiah. But then there's a kind of a second aspect to it, and maybe even a more upfront aspect to it is that it's, it's like a token. It's like a verification is that it serves. So maybe you think of how... If you were to buy some special memorabilia and maybe it comes with something that's like this is certified from a certain place, 
to show that it, it's, it's, it's really that. It's not some fake, right? A, a sign was to serve as a token in that way, where it is a verification that this person is not a fake, but there's something real going on here. Now, often when we look at Jesus' miracles, I will hear people say, well, Jesus, this shows right away that he's God. But we should be honest that for the disciples, it would, have not, it would not have necessarily initially pointed out him being God. Let me, let me explain. Jesus is not the first person through whom God did miracles. Right? In the Old Testament, you have Moses, right? Standing there before the Red Sea, it gets parted. They walk through. You know, afterwards, the water goes back down. And nobody thought he was God when this happened. Or you have prophets like Elijah who went to the widow and she just had a little bit of oil and, and grain left. And, um, and he said, well, just keep using, bake some. And it doesn't run out and it doesn't run out and it doesn't run out. There's miraculously more and more and more and more. A miracle happened by Elijah. He's not God. You have Elisha who where there is a young boy who had died. Elisha comes, stretches himself out over that boy and the boy comes back to life. God, through Elisha, raised the dead. And we know he's not God. And so that's why just we need to be, be clear that for the disciples initially, it wasn't necessarily clear, okay, this means this is God. It was clear of something, though. It was very clear that God was at work. Because in all these things, while people didn't say Moses is God or Elijah or Elisha is God, they did see clearly that God was doing something here through these guys. That God was redeeming his people. God was providing for people. God was at work. And so Jesus, by doing this miracle where he takes the water and turns it into wine, is making it very clear that God himself is working in this moment. And God is up to something here in Jesus. We're seeing the hand of God move in this event, in this miracle. Now, while the disciples may or may not have understood that he, from this, that he was not just a man doing things by the power of God, but actually God himself, we have the benefit of the fact that we are reading this in the Gospel of John. And so as we see this, we also have that background where John started, remember before, before, with the fact that Jesus is God the Son. We can know, based on the context of John and also the whole series, when you put together the collective of what John presents, it becomes very clear to us that this isn't just a revelation that, that God is at work in Jesus, but that Jesus is God. And part of the reason why we can see it isn't just because of the backstory of John, but also because John tells us that Jesus in this way revealed his glory. So he doesn't just reveal the glory of God, but he reveals his glory. The word glory has layers of meaning, and it's really cool. Partly, because, partly why there are these layers is because, so the New Testament is translated in Greek, the Old Testament it is in Hebrew, and when you, so you have like the Greek definition of a word, but also because it's a concept that is brought in from the Old Testament, it's also good to consider the Hebrew translation of the word glory. 
So you have the initial Greek translation, and then you also, because this is a very prominent concept in the Old Testament, you have to consider also the Old Testament definition, which would be Hebrew. Okay, so let's think first about how this word is used in, in, in Greek. So this word describes that which is highly regarded, regarded highly or well. Often you think of, say, like, if you were to give somebody an applause, all right, give someone an applause, you're saying, great job, this is amazing, well done, you clap for them, there's some glory. But also, something too, if you were to look at, say, like, a beautiful palace or something, like, wow, like, if this is something that we would look at and go, this looks amazing, and it's just beautiful, that this would be something that is full of glory, because you're just amazed by it. So that's, that's kind of the Greek aspect of the word glory. The Hebrew one is, is the more interesting one, I think. Because when you see the word glory translated, it's, it literally just means heavy. Or full of weight. So that seems like a weird thing. It's, there's even a, a time where the word is used to describe someone who is, um, um, excuse me. I'm trying out a new mic today, and it's bumping on me a little bit. I don't think it's a winner. I'll have to try a different one. Anyway, there's this uh, event in the Old Testament where you have this super, um, let's put it, not healthy man. He's rather fat. <laughs> this is the word that's used to describe him. <laughs> like, it really just means heavy. But in different contexts, it describes glory. And, and here's a way to think about it. So, Let's see, I've got my Frisbee here. Tate, we like to play disc at Ultimate, or at, at Epic, right? We play a lot of disc. If I just toss that to you, no big deal, right? You're gonna, you can toss it right back. Simple enough. All right, this thing's nice in here, nice and light. But now, I have something back here that's even it's smaller. Yeah, do you want me to just... You, you, I know you're shaking your head, but you do not. Your dad definitely doesn't. <laughs> Yeah, you don't want me to just toss this to you, right? Even though it's smaller. And I mean, and I've got something over here that's even, that's maybe a, it's not even a lot bigger. It's just a little bit bigger. But what if I was to take and try to throw <coughs> this one? It'd be bad news, right? Why? Because there's weight to it. And, and the reason why, this, so there's this weight is, you know, while well, that Frisbee, I can take this and when we go on like LA youth trips, I put a Frisbee in my backpack. I take it everywhere I go because you never know when there's going to be a good opportunity to disc. <laughs> you never know. Gas station stop, get out the disc. Anything, you get out, right? You can bring this anywhere. I'm not packing this thing in my backpack because it's more significant. There's more to it. It can cause a greater effect on a person, right? This is the idea with glory in the Old Testament, is that there's significance to it. It's not just something you can take and just toss around, no big deal. It impacts. If I were to throw this at you, it would hurt, <laughs> right? Actually, I would probably hurt myself in the process and probably wouldn't even get to you. Yeah. It's significant. <laughs> you can't just disregard it. So take these two pictures together. We've got glory where it's praise and honor and all these good things. But also, there is weight. There is significance with Jesus. And there's one final layer that we should also consider. 
In our first lesson, we were talking about when God provided water and food for his people. And did you catch in that lesson, what, it, what was it that the people saw when God came to provide miraculously for them? The glory of the Lord. This is something, actually, if you were here Christmas morning or watched that sermon, we talked about the significance of the phrase, the glory of the Lord, in the Old Testament. The glory of the Lord is not just people praising the Lord, but actually is something that goes before God's people, is powerful, and does really significant things. The glory of the Lord came and appeared when God brought this food miraculously. It's the glory of the Lord that appeared in the pillar of cloud that led God's people during the day. It's the glory of the Lord that appeared as a pillar of fire at night to lead them in the dark. It's the glory of the Lord that would rest above the tabernacle, above the holy place of God's presence, so that would let them know that God was there with them and that they could stay in that spot. It was also the glory of the Lord that would proceed forward and let them know when to pick up and move. And then it was the glory of the Lord that when they built the temple, this glory of the Lord actually entered into the temple, and it was so significant that the priests couldn't go in for a while because they just couldn't handle it. The presence of the glory in the temple of God. The glory of the Lord is significant. It's also significant because it's the glory of the Lord that leaves the temple in the Old Testament. When God's people had been turning away from him and turning away from him and turning away from him, God finally said, okay, if you want to act like the other nations, you're going to be handed over to them, and they were conquered by them. And then you have this book, Ezekiel, where he is seeing this incredible vision, and he sees this really weird scene where you've got these spiritual beings coming on, and you've got these, like, axles and wheels coming forward, coming towards him. Sometimes I think it'd be really cool to see some of these incredible visions, and other times I'm like, this sounds terrifying. <laughs> super weird. He sees this super weird vision, and what, one of the things that we are told about it, it's that he sees the glory of the Lord leave the temple and depart left the presence of God's people, and then when they built a new temple after the Babylonian captivity, do you know it never returned? The glory of the Lord. They were longing for its return. And the prophets talked about a day when the glory of the Lord would return to God's people. And then once the glory of the Lord returned to God's people, the glory of the Lord would work through God's people and fill the earth. Which is why, this is what we talked about Christmas morning, it's so significant that when the angels appear to the shepherds in the wilderness, there's this line that says that the glory of the Lord shone around them. Here we are, the glory of the Lord is back on the scene. And then the glory of the Lord is revealed here in Jesus. The honor, the praise, the weight, the significance, the glory which provided for God's people, the glory which led God's people, the glory which was, which care, was carrying out God's plan of salvation, not just for the Israel, people of Israel, but for the world, the glory that left, but the glory that would come back and set all things right was being revealed to us in Christ in this miracle. There's a whole lot more going on here than just water and wine. But it'd be easy for us to miss it, partly because we've got to do some of that homework, but 
Also because sometimes when we think about miracles in our lives, we get pretty focused on the miracle itself and can sometimes miss the backstory. You know, when God provides for you, and I think of, uh, well, you know, a couple weeks ago, there was that, the, the Buffalo Bills player who had that significant injury, like where he was cardiac arrest on the football field, right? And there were all the prayers for him, which is amazing. After he is now back from the hospital, you know what we should also have? Prayers of thanks like glory for him, for like crazy for him, right? But what we tend to do is pray for the need, and then once the need comes, progress to the next need, and the next need, and we don't stop and go, look what just happened. You know, sometimes we can get caught up in just the thing that we need or want and can kind of miss the significance of the miracle. That's why it's so good. It's such good news to know that this is, this is part of how the glory of Jesus is revealed. It's, it's showing us who he is, but it's all really to prepare us and to point, point us to what he would do on the cross for all of us. Because on the cross, Jesus would do the truly miraculous. You and I, as people who have, have turned away from God and gone our own way, there's no way we could set ourselves right with a holy God. There's no way we as sinful people, as imperfect people, could live with God in a perfect world. By being there, we would be imperfect. We have this situation where sin wrecked our relationship with God, and we can't fix it. But Jesus does the miraculous. He takes your sin and mine, pays for it, takes the justice for it. He's the only one who could, and he did. And not only did he take our sin, but when he died, he didn't stay dead. And that he did the ultimate miracle of coming back to life. In doing so, he showed that he overcame what separated us from God, the thing that we couldn't do anything about. And he overcame the greatest issue that this world will ever face, death. And we can advance medically and do all these different things, but death is still there. Jesus overcame it. If Jesus overcame sin and Jesus overcame death, then we can see the glory of God revealed in him, letting us know that he is the one who can really set everything right. All those things we see in our lives that we're like, we don't know how to fix it, Jesus is able. All the things we see in this world that trouble us, that we're like, I don't know what to do, Jesus is able. And we see that revealed in his miracles. We see that revealed in his miracles in Scripture. And we can see that revealed when we see miracles today. Yeah, we can still see miracles today, by the way. You know, Scripture never says, by the way, miracles are going to stop. It never says that. Actually, Scripture encourages us to ask God for what we need. To pray boldly. <coughs> it says that he's able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. I think sometimes in our world today we, we, we can forget that. I mean, maybe we are, maybe miraculous type things happen and maybe we dismiss it because we know we have so much medical stuff and we're like, well, it's just the medical thing. It's not the miracle thing. Maybe it's a little bit of both. I don't know. Or maybe for some reason we've just been conditioned not to look for it. I encourage you, you need a miracle? Pray for one. As you do so, as you pray for the big things, there are a couple principles to keep in mind. 
If you look at the, back, the background verses for our sermon lesson today, when Jesus' mom comes to him, he gives this really fascinating response where he says, Dear woman, why do you involve me? My time has not yet come. It's a little reminder with that question of, okay, wait a minute, remember though why I'm here? Remember what my purpose is? And remember there's a time and there's a plan for how this all works. There's a time and there's a plan for how God works and how God brings miracles. God does it according to his purpose and his plan. We keep that in mind. That can kind of help us understand what we see in history. When you look at history, you can see, and for those who are reading the Bible plan, we're going to read through Luke, but then Acts. Throughout Luke and Acts, you will see plenty of miracles. One of the things, though, as we study history is after the Bible is kind of collected, you, see, you, you tend to see less of them. You kind of see more of what we see in our world today. Not that you don't see them, but they're just less frequent. It appears from what we see, and kind of based on what Jesus says, too, about some, about the power of Scripture and so on, is, is it seems that God is directing us not to look primarily now for signs and miracles, but for the verification of who he is in Scripture. When the New Testament is being written, there's all these miracles. When it gets collected, it seems like he's shifting us a bit away. So, away from that, more to Scripture. So keep that in mind, that God can do the miracle, ask for the miracle, but it, it will only happen according to his plan and his purpose. It sure can, but it's going to be, it's going to be his thing, his time. Kind of related to that, we have verses like 1 Corinthians 1.22 that say, Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom. God is not interested in doing miracles on our terms. And he's not interested in us coming at him from a perspective of unbelief and you've got to do my thing my way. There's some accounts in the New Testament and it just always strikes me where Jesus would do the miraculous, like feed to 5,000. And then someone will come up and say, hey, show us a sign. What do you mean show us a sign? How many more signs do you want? When you're coming at it on your terms and from this place of hardened unbelief, he could do every sign in the world and you still wouldn't believe. It's not, about, it's not about us doing things on our terms. It's about his terms. The whole point of this lesson here, we're told that Jesus' disciples put their faith in him, which means they were persuaded of him or trusted in him. If God was working on our terms, we'd still be trusting in us. God, this is what I want you to do. This is my plan. The whole point is to shift us away from trusting in us to trusting in him. That he is the only one who can do the miraculous. That he knows how to do the miraculous. That he did it in a surprising way by dying on the cross and rising again. He continues to do it in a surprising way today. He's the only one who can set things right. And we can know confidently that he is the only one who does set things right. Through his life, his death, his resurrection, you can be confident you have a place with him in paradise. You can know that he is powerful to work in you, through you, according to his will and his plan. And you can know that one day, one day he'll return and all things will be set right once and for all. This week, as you face situations that may pop up and you're like, I don't know, I don't know how to fix it, I'm not sure what to do. Remember what you saw in this lesson today. 
Remember how Jesus took water and he turned it into wine. And remember what that reveals. Think about other times too where maybe you looked and you're like, man, I didn't know how I was going to make it. And then just at the right time, God showed up. Not that he wasn't there to begin with, but he really maybe showed off is a good way to put it. And God came through. And when you think about those miracles, may it remind you of his glory, of his weight of the fact that he has conquered sin and death and he is setting everything right. He is able. And that can shine a light into your darkness when you remember how he's revealed in miracles.